In this episode, you'll hear about some staggering statistics and facts about endometriosis in women's health, and what drove us to create a space to journey through our endo life, and what brought us to create Endo Battery, and what the name means. Thanks for joining us. I'm Shelby. And I'm Alana, and we're Endo Battery, charging our life when endo drains us. Welcome to Endo Battery, where we are sharing our endometriosis journey and learning along the way. This podcast is in no way meant to diagnose or give medical advice, but a place where you can gain knowledge and information that can help you to not feel alone as well as become your best advocate. We want to learn with you and support you wherever you are in your journey. Let's get into this. We're going to share some statistics that just are kind of mind-blowing when we when it comes to endometriosis. One in 10 women are diagnosed with it. And that's like only what they have as far as actual diagnosis. That's not saying that it's what actual, however many actually are diagnosed or have it. It's just, that's what's diagnosed with it, which is crazy. So crazy. Because most women aren't diagnosed for a long time. Over 190 million women are suffering from it currently. And I'm sure that those numbers are just going to continue to rise as the years go on. Yeah. And it also takes anywhere from eight to 10 years to be diagnosed. And so that to me is in and of itself a staggering number Mm -hmm. that a disease that is fairly common in 190 million women can't be diagnosed anywhere from eight to 10 years. Yeah. And in just the US alone, more than $70 billion annually is being spent on treatment for this. And that's more costly than Crohn's or migraines, and right on par with type two diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis. Yet, it's endometriosis is drastically underfunded with the research. And then you have that on top of it being a whole body issue. I mean, this isn't just an issue that um, is a reproductive issue. This is an entire body issue. I know for me, I've struggled with this for so many years and the effects that it's had on my body alone um, is, I can't imagine that many women walking through this and feeling like it's a one issue thing. Yeah, and for me, you know, with my issues, it wasn't so much a fertility or, well, it was fertility later on, but it presented itself more as back pain and hip pain. So, you know, it didn't resonate with me or strike a chord with some of my um, healthcare professionals that it could have been endometriosis because it was this back and hip pain. So, you know, so many other issues present itself thus being a whole body issue rather than just reproductive with endometriosis. I mean, but with reproductive, 30 to 50% have infertility issues. And I think um, oftentimes women probably walk in with infertility issues and not even realize that they have endometriosis. Like this is something that is, you know, until you pull the covers back is lying there waiting to kind of show up. It's like the big scary boogie monster. Yeah. <laughs> Peeling back a layer of onion and they're, yeah. you're literally crying as every peel is being pulled back, trying to figure out what is exactly wrong. 
Well, and I don't, I mean, I don't know for everyone, but for me, um, my diagnosis came early, but at the same time, it was there all along. It was in the painful periods. It was, you know, that I grew up hearing, oh, periods just are painful. And what it could be is an underlying chronic disease that is not easily recognizable for a lot of doctors. And I think that's what has led us into starting this podcast. Let's give a little backstory though. Our paths crossed many years ago. I met Shelby um, through her husband. Probably, I think Shelby was in college. We were young adults and I had grown up with her husband and randomly ran into each other at a young adults group and continued to cross paths. Yeah, I feel like we crossed paths through college, church. Um, I ended up going to the salon where she worked. Then we both ended up having kiddos and our kids ended up in VBS together. So it was be like every few months or every year, our paths would cross in different ways. We had a lot of mutual friends. And so we would be invited to some similar things and I'd see her out and about or I'd see her husband and give a high five or a hug and hey, Shelby, how's it going? And then we ended up becoming Facebook friends and Instagram friends because Instagram oddly enough, came after Facebook. <laughs> For those who aren't aware, Facebook was a thing back in the day. Yes. <laughs> and then Shelby can um, started sharing her story that she was going through. Um, and that's what really led me to reaching out to Shelby. So in 2019 was when I first started sharing my journey. I'd been having lots of back pain and I guess pelvic floor issues. And so I shared that in September of 2019 that I, you know, saw this pelvic floor therapist, which you'll hear us talk about her uh, leaf flowers here in Fort Collins. Um, but I saw her and after seeing her for about a month and a half, um, she brought up that she was maybe suspicious that I might have endometriosis and, you know, had anybody ever talked to me about that? And then also gave me the tools um, and kind of sent me home with a bunch of different stuff to go look for online, which you'll also hear us talk more about Nancy's Nook. So I went down um, the rabbit hole of Nancy's Nook, which is an amazing educational rabbit hole, which if you've gone down, you know. And I just decided to really start sharing my platform there in 2019 as of um, working through endometriosis, which I had surgery scheduled for May of 2020 um, to get excision done by Dr. Nelson in Longmont. And I have been dealing with endometriosis forever and I had been diagnosed, um, in 2010, I was diagnosed with endometriosis through, um, I had, you know, had a kidney stone and, and I'll get into that further about how I was diagnosed. But, um, I had really come to the spot where I thought I knew a lot about endometriosis. I'd put some work and effort in. 
along the way. But when I was diagnosed, there just really wasn't a lot of information out there. And so when Shelby shared her story, I reached out to her and said, hey, I'd love to get some coffee. Let's talk about this. Thinking that I was going to offer her so much support and so much information. Clearly, she couldn't know (laughs) as much as I could because I had been diagnosed forever. (laughs) Long story short, I knew nothing because Shelby had done the work and she'd put in the time and energy of, of really researching and advocating for herself. But she came across Nancy's Nook through Lee. I, um, I went to coffee and I was in a place where I was in a lot of pain. So I had had my second baby. Um, I had adenomyosis and I was miserable, but I felt like I had a lot to give. <laughs> how odd how that really happened. <laughs> like look back at it and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> I didn't know anything. Um, and so we met for coffee and Shelby goes, Alana, you need to look into Nancy's neck. You need to read about it. You need, I'm meeting with this doctor who does excision surgery. And I was like, what's excision surgery? <laughs> Cause I'd only ever had ablation and I knew it was ablation, but I didn't know the difference between excision and ablation. And we, and we'll talk about that here on this podcast quite a bit, but, um, I was like, okay, let's, I, I fine, Shelby, you're that's great. And I went like a week and I kind of took what she said for granted a little bit. And it was, I was thinking about it. It was in the back of my mind, but I didn't want to put the effort in to researching because I was exhausted to be fair. I was tired. I was drained physically, emotionally. I had a lot of mental fog and just trying to be a mom of a, of a toddler at that point, I think. Um, and so I, um, I was like, whatever. And Shelby, like a week later was like, Alana, I'm not kidding. You need to do, you need to do the sections in Nancy's Nook and just go through that and, and learn. And I was like, okay, fine. So, <laughs> so I did and I learned and I continue to learn and I continue to look at the resources that Nancy's Nook had. And that's what led me to doing my excision surgery with Dr. Nelson in June of 2020. So I did this all in the pandemic and I did this um, surgery, you know, really not knowing what to expect and yet knowing what to expect because I had had um, two ablation surgeries prior to this and I also had two C-sections. So I had a lot of surgeries and then walking into this, I actually had a lot more hope and I had a lot more um, peace about it than probably any of my other surgeries. But fast forward to July of yeah, 2020. So July of 22 this year, I ended up having my excision surgery with Dr. Nelson. Um, luckily, after scheduling my surgery in May of 2020, we got pregnant in um, December of 2019 and had our little guy. And when I get pregnant, my body blesses me with nine months and however long it is until I get my period back of a beautiful life and what it's like to live without endo. But then as soon as my period comes back, my endo comes back. And after my little guy, it came back with vengeance. Um, So I did use and took some time to, you know, try 
other modalities that we'll talk about later as well to help support my endo symptoms. But really, it came down to needing surgery again. So I scheduled that surgery in June and had it in July. And that's where this whole thing kind of was born. Um, Alana was a huge supporter for me, both both pre and post-op, which, you know, as we journey through this, we've really found that there's not much support in the pre and post-op kind of life of endometriosis and what that looks like. Well, I don't think it's just even pre and post-op. I think it's life in general because for me, I don't, I mean, I really truly believe this is a lifelong journey. Endometriosis takes hold of your body at a really young age and um, it does a number on it. And so even post-surgery, we're not guaranteed that it won't come back. But beyond that, it's already ravished our bodies in the way that we function, Mm -hmm. whether it's bowel movement, whether it's PT-related things, pelvic floor, things like that. And so I think that it's a constant struggle. And not to be a Debbie Downer about it, it's just the reality of the disease. I think that we, as women oftentimes push ourselves onto the back burner. And especially when it comes to pain, we just have to live and thrive and try to function within this pain mode. And so we just realized when Shelby and I were talking specifically pre-surgery and then post-op that they're just, the resources were minimal. So Shelby had a lot more anxiety walking into surgery because she had never had surgery before. And I again, oh, knowledgeable one. I'm not knowledgeable. (laughs) I would like to say that I'm more knowledgeable than I am. (laughs) Just more experienced with the surgeries. That I am. I am definitely more experienced with the surgeries. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, But I I was able to kind of lean into that space a little bit and help her walk through that because um, post-surgery specifically after hysterectomies, but any surgery, I would say, there's a lot of emotion that goes into that. There's a lot of like second guessing things. And then you're also, I feel like grieving this space of what next? My body isn't what it should be. My body doesn't feel instantly better or it doesn't, you know. So I do feel like that and even what to expect in the hospital, how to prepare for that. I don't know. I hope I did you some service in that regard. (laughs) Well, and I think it's just also so hard with um, excision and this surgery in general, because with endometriosis, it's literally like opening Pandora's box when he gets in there Mm -hmm. with surgery. There's no way to really um, visually see it before surgery via CAT scan, MRIs, x-rays there's no way unless to there's like, a mass right right unless there's a mass to yeah. be like well m- then maybe that's endometriosis so literally it's not like preparing for an acl surgery that you know mm-hmm. you're going in having your acl repaired post-op you'll have six to eight weeks of physical therapy that's prescribed to you by your doctor mm-hmm. and then you can slowly get back to things with excision You go in and, you know, I said that I was planning on having a hysterectomy based on his findings, depending on how ovaries looked and their condition. You know, he was also fine for me to take one or both ovaries. So you never know what 
you'll wake up with. You could go in and just have excision and have no hysterectomy. You know, if you're wanting to save fertility, you for sure don't have a hysterectomy, you know, and then some women will end up with, you know, other organs being, you know, resected or resected or, you know, bladder stuff and ending up in a bag of yeah, feces or urine, <laughs> yeah. not to get super graphic, but this will be a TMI free space. Um, so you, it's just, you don't know what to prepare for. So the unknown of the unknown, I think is what is kind of the hardest mm-hmm. because, and then once you're, you know, post-op, unfortunately yet there isn't much like not every doctor recommends physical therapy. So I feel like some women have the mm-hmm. disservice of not having that piece as well. Well, and to be fair, not every doctor recommends it because there aren't a lot of pelvic floor physical therapists. And that's really where I think women with this disease suffer the most is in their their pelvic region. Obviously, this is where our organs are and that's right. where it kind of usually manifests. <laughs> I mean, it can go anywhere, right? It's mm-hmm. it's like a bad germ. It just wants to migrate anywhere it can. And so um I, I to be fair that that there is that, but yep. then also I just feel like I don't, not every excision specialist is a male and mm-hmm. I feel like they have a harder goal to even do what they're doing, mm-hmm. but not every male <laughs> is as great as they are, know how to help a female heal from something so invasive. Mm-hmm. And I think if we look back at like for excision surgery, it's an outpatient surgery. Mm-hmm. you have a knee replacement, you have any other kind of surgery, oftentimes you're in the hospital at least for a day. Excision mm-hmm. surgery, hysterectomy, it's an outpatient surgery. How do you prepare for that emotionally, mentally, and physically? Like there's just a lot of unknowns. And so that's kind of where we um, really started to gain traction with, we've got to speak out to this. We've got to be able as two women who have experienced this, who have very different stories because what's worked for Shelby maybe hasn't worked for me or what's worked for me hasn't worked for Shelby. And that's going to be across the board with endometriosis. And this is, this disease is um, one that is very specific to the person. And that's why it's so hard to diagnose. And that's why we say it takes eight to 10 years typically to be diagnosed because it is so tricky and there's just not as much research and money put into that research. And there's also just not a lot of people. And I, I do think that we're fortunate that we're seeing more and more people speak up into this disease, given that it's affecting so many women. But I do think that for us, we said enough is enough. We need to be able to speak out to this because we are in a circle where we know so many women who are, who have been affected by this and been affected affected so negatively. So this isn't just something that, oh, you have it, here's a cure. It's ongoing. And we need to be able to ask the questions, the hard questions that need to be asked and and communicate to one another and um, maybe help you guys out in this regard. Um, And so in this journey, we found that it was life-giving to be able to share and speak into one another. And that's kind of where we got our name in essence. Um, Endo battery, fun name, catchy. <laughs> so with Endo, you know, we 
we're thinking of what does endo do? Endo really drains you. Um, but while having endo, you also need tools that can recharge you. And, you know, unless you deal with a chronic disease or have endometriosis, um, that may not resonate with many people. And, um, it kind of got me thinking about the 12 spoons theory with chronic illness, where every day we are given 12 spoons and those 12 spoons we can use doing different things. And these things can just be as simple as making breakfast or having lunch with a friend or a kid's birthday party, but we only have 12 spoons to use throughout the day. And once those 12 spoons are gone, we're done. And so you know, that's kind of where we came up with the endo battery idea is we need to have tools in our life that can charge our battery. Yet we also need to be aware of the things in our life that are draining us that are pulling, you know, life out of us, um, which endo is but other things can be life draining as well. But um, we just want to be able to, you know, give tools and find ways to charge our life, even though endo drains us. Well, and I think of it this way. So every night when we go to bed, what do we do? We plug in our phone, we charge it, right? And and if you're like me, your phone tends to be your lifeline. It's where I keep all my coupons for couponing because I like it. <laughs> it's where you have all your apps for coffee. <laughs> you know, like yes. you know, all of those things. It's where we where we communicate. It's where we, you know, do everything. So we charge it so that we're ready for the next day. And I feel like each cell that it's charging, if you correlate it to to how we charge our lives with Indo specifically, um, each cell is a section of our life that we're charging. And so where, where is that? Is that in gaining the information to advocate for yourself? Is it knowing how to better take care of yourself? Is it knowing what nutrition needs to go in your body? Is it, you know, and, and this is, um, yes, there's a daily recharge that I think we need to have as far as the 12 spoons. That to me is a necessity. That's a necessity. That's why we sleep. Mm -hmm. That's what, you know, but with, Endo specifically, what are the things that are going to charge our batteries to give us um, a little bit more push to be able to live a more full life? Mm -hmm. What is it that we're going to be able to do tomorrow? Are we going to be able to rest in this space and get good nutrition and good physical therapy so that we can enjoy these birthday parties or a girl's night out? Mm -hmm. um, is it learning how to breathe through a lot of these pains that we end up having, or is it seeing a specialist? So that's kind of where this podcast um, was created, was we need to learn how to recharge ourselves with endo. And, and using the 12 spoons theory, we got to charge our battery. So with this podcast, we hope to find more ways for you to charge your battery and notice what is draining you in life. And we also want to engage with you. We want to be able to have conversations with those that are following us. So we do have an email and we'd love to hear from you. Um, it's endobattery at gmail.com. Also, leave comments wherever you're at, whatever platform you're at. And, and let us know. We have an Instagram page and we want to hear your stories. We want to journey with you. And if there's something that you would like for us to um, cover, please leave that as well. 
And we're excited for this journey. We're excited to see where it takes us. We're going to be talking to some doctors. We're going to be talking to different people in this industry. And every week may not, you know, relate to you, but stick with us because I think that we um, are going to do our best to journey together with you and give you something that just fills a little bit of a cell. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you can join us next week.